Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google certificates. Faster my crazy day, my packed commute, all those unread emails in my inbox. But I'm getting stronger, faster, and pushing myself further every day. I don't care if I'm not like everyone else. This punching bag is the best way to end my day. <laughs> Fearless is knowing yoga isn't your style. That's the power of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Federal Employee Program. Learn more about our healthy benefits at fepblue.org slash get more. Hi, and welcome to The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Mara, Democratic pollster with PSB Research. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you the polls driving the news in politics, tech, and pop culture. So first, welcome new followers. We have lots of new followers again. Um, Just as a reminder for folks who are joining us for one of the first times, this is one of our quote-unquote regular shows where we talk about all the polls that are going on that week. Uh, But we also have interviews. So we had an interview over Labor Day weekend with John Sides from the Monkey Cage blog. It was really great. Take a listen. Um, and some people tweeted us for some extra credit reading they wanted to do about gerrymandering. We'll put that in the show notes and it's on our Twitter feed. People really are in back to school mode. I know. <laughs> Already looking for extra credit. I know. We, but I've y- been there. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, several people asked us that and John Sides actually tweeted out another article. So we'll include all of that. Um, but we don't always have interviews because or busy broads, or as one of <laughs> You've our, been reading the Twitter mentions too much. <laughs> as one of the Facebook Live folks, we did a Facebook Live at ABC uh, this week, and one of the comments said, don't ask these two hens about <laughs> Gary Johnson. And that was just my favorite sexist thing on the internet ever. And that's a pretty low bar because, uh, I you know. know. But I, I was like, okay, that one I liked. Yeah. I don't know why. But these two hens. <laughs> these two hens. An alternative oh. name for our show, I guess. Um, so uh, before we, Kristen goes into the top lines, we have another you expert. Like potato. And I like potato. You like you might want to weigh in <laughs> on the like polls this week. Tomato, potato, <laughs> you say tomato, I say tomato. tomato. This week's tomato, top lines, you can say tomato, I can say tomato. We can choose our own adventure in this election. And that includes choosing your own polling narrative. We're going to unskew those 2016 polls that tell very different stories about the state of the race. Also, because it's back to school time, we'll dig into a little bit of polling that's too cool for school about what people are thinking, how they're getting their read on and more. Um, We'll also talk about how everybody thinks everything is miserable. Yay, summer's over. Time to dive back (laughs) into the the terrible doom and gloom that is this election. Um, But it turns out that this election is not actually breaking up marriages so much. We will debunk some bad polling headlines um, in addition to going through some bad polling tweets that we've received throughout the week. Um, And last but not least, uh, we don't regret the name of our podcast. The Pollsters has worked out pretty well as a name. But turns out some people regret the names they've given their children. <laughs> we'll end on that uplifting note. That's right. All good news here. So first, the poll of the week. It's uh, back to school for lots of folks. Back to school in my house, although it's a little bit less 
dramatic for my daughter because she has the same kids in her class and the same teacher, the same school. So it's not really that different. But there's lots of back-to-school polling about what it means to be excited about your school. And uh, Gallup has done some studying on this about uh, students who said they had a professor who made them excited about learning or if they had a mentor, um, if they felt that their professors really cared about them, that cares about people like me. It works for candidates. It works for professors. And it makes uh, students many more times likely to have a real relationship with their alma mater, which is all good news. Um, also makes folks more likely to read. College graduates are more likely to read ebooks. Pew has some studying on people who've read a book in any format over the last year. That's about you know, three quarters of folks. I think that's pretty high. I think that's higher than you would think if you sort of listen to you know, pearl clutchers, whoever the pearl clutchers would be on this topic, um, with an increased number of people who are reading books uh, through an ebook or listening to a book, um, uh, an audio book. And I was always of the mind when the iPad first came out, I thought, oh, no, is this is this going to do in the Kindle, right? Like, are the, is the Kindle and the Nook, are they done for? Because now everybody's going to have an iPad or a tablet. It turns out that now tablet computers are, they have, there's been a significant jump in the percentage of people who have read an ebook on a tablet, up from 4% five years ago to 15% now. But ebook readers have stayed pretty stable. Um, so it, people are reading more and more on other devices, uh, but it has not led to a decrease in the percentage of people who are also using Kindles. Frankly, I like my Kindle because I can read when I'm outside at the pool and not be as concerned about water and sunshine and everything else. Right. Well... That, that sounds like quite a bit of luxury. I, oh. uh, my, um, <laughs> to read something that has like more than five words and a couple of pictures <laughs> sounds pretty lovely. I have to resort to the online stuff uh, myself. So, but let's turn now to something a little bit more controversial than book reading, and that's 2016. There have been lots of polls that have come out in the last few days, really, that have made people go kind of bananas about thinking about what it means for polling, what it means about the election, what it means oh, yeah. on Twitter. So we, Deep questions. Margie and I, were very lucky to get to go back on ABC's This Week with Martha Raddatz, fresh off of the announcement, by the way, that she's going to be co-moderating co one of the debates with Anderson Cooper. So we were really in the presence of a, a big-time celebrity yeah, uh, I mean, I already, I always love Martha, but it was very cool to be on the show right after this news broke. Yeah, no, it was uh, great. And so we, you know, we were talking a little bit about the polls and this question of, is there a missing Trump vote? And uh, we had to come up with electoral maps, which I felt silly because my map was actually more favorable to Clinton's. So I got all kinds of Twitter hate. My favorite, which we've had people say, we love your, you know, reading hate tweets from the Twitter, the egg avatar Twitter people. I'm not going to necessarily read the full hate tweet, but I just have to give this one story. So somebody tweeted at me that, you know, I'm like, I'm clearly in the pocket of uh, Clinton and I, I'm not analyzing data properly. I'm bad at my job. And so I look at this guy's profile, just like, who is this guy? The tweet right before his tweet telling me I'm bad at analyzing data was a retweet of a picture of a cloud <laughs> that looks like Donald Trump. And the text the of the Simpsons tweet thing, man screams at cloud. Man screams at cloud. <laughs> the text of the tweet was basically saying that this is proof that Donald Trump is God's messenger on earth, right? It's a cloud that looks like Donald Trump. But here's the best part. Where did this cloud picture tweet asserting that Donald Trump is actually, you know, the second coming? Wh who where'd this tweet come from? 
none other the tweet of god none other <laughs> than michael cohen of says who says who fame so it was just there was just so much so much great going on isn't he an attorney i mean that's kind of the last somebody who looks a cloud picture for advice it seems like somebody you would not want either as a poll interpreter or an attorney so i was just like <laughs> okay, so I'm supposedly we're bad at analyzing data because we don't see this huge Trump lead. But you're literally looking at a cloud. <laughs> a cloud. Newsflash, that is not data. So anyhow, that was my uh, enjoyable hate tweet of the week. <laughs> That's good. That's really good. Well, um, that was um But we if if you were pay, you know, so Sunday went came and went, Monday Labor Day, hope everybody was relaxed. Tuesday morning, wake up to find on the one hand, CNN has Trump up by 2 nationally. And then on the other hand, you have the Washington Post, which is it's a brand new partnership with SurveyMonkey. They conducted polls in every state. And they found Clinton up by six nationwide. So choose your own adventure. Let's discuss. Margie, what did you make of these two polls telling dramatically different stories about the state of the race nationally? Well, there are a few things. I mean, first, they were conducted in different time frames, right? The CNN poll was done over the Labor Day holiday, Thursday through Sunday, I believe, um, which is not necessarily bad. People were pointing that out on Twitter. I, that's just different. I mean, the people, you know, we're in a situation now where you don't get a chance to take a holiday. You really need to be checking the numbers constantly. If you were working for the campaigns, you would be polling over Labor Day just to make sure you're you're watching uh, watching the race closely, while the Survey Monkey poll was done over the course of a few weeks. So that's one difference. Um, the other difference is the uh, party breakdown in the CNN poll. They showed that there were more Republicans in the electorate than Democrats. And I don't think that, that you know, I don't ascribe any nefarious reasoning to that. That's just, you know, how what their data look like. But it is different than what we might expect given past uh, exit polls, given what the polls show now in terms of party ID. If you're a pollster, you want to just trust your data, right? This is what Ann Seltzer talks about when if you read any of the coverage of Ann Seltzer. Um, you just, you know, the data just tells you what it tells you. You don't tell the data, no, you're wrong. If that's the whole point of polling is to just have the data wash over you like a wave and, and give you its, you know, <laughs> cloud-like, <laughs> cloud-like data. Um, and and so th- if that's just what they got, then that's what they got. You know, I don't – it may not be because they want it to look like that, which is what some people were saying. Like they just want clicks or excitement. I'm sure that the data just showed that. The last difference is that CNN used a likely voter model and that they haven't released or responded to how they did that likely voter model. We don't know what if it's just they ask people how likely you are to vote as opposed to saying self-reported that you're registered. Um, that We don't know if they say – Things like, do you vote before or do you know where your polling place is, how enthusiastic you are, all those kinds of questions that sometimes people use in likely voter models. Um, we don't know, but the likely voter model made a difference because Clinton was up with overall, but she was down with a likely voter. So it really did make a difference to have that likely voter model in the end result. And this is something – so then the, the next phase of the scandalo – uh, I don't even know. That was probably a horrible Spanglish. I don't even know if that's actually a word. Um, was that uh, friend of the show, Chuck Todd, over at NBC, 
uh, embarked on an unskewing mission. Apparently, uh, during the day, if you clicked on CNN, I think, or not CNN, MSNBC. Yeah, during, it was on Meet the Press Daily. The Press I listened Daily. to it in the car with Dan Balls from Washington Post and Greg Bolger from POS um, as his guests. And then they showed this up and discussed it. They had a really good kind of in the weeds conversation. But yeah, I mean, yeah. So it, it, it wound up getting it. kind of like, uh, is lampooned the right word? I don't know. It created a firestorm. Comment. In this, don't ask those two hens. Oh, wait a second. <laughs> oh gosh, um, about whether or not. Well, one, is it appropriate for one media outlet to take another media outlet's poll and then unskew it? Like just like the 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 gentlemen and ladies like laws of this world. Like is that is that sportsmanlike conduct? Right. But then number two, is it methodologically correct? And so I I in tweets that I enjoy, um, got a tweet from somebody named Ryan Matsumoto, um, who wrote, I thought, a really excellent uh, Medium post. Uh, so Ryan's Twitter bio indicates that he is um, an engineer at Google um, and is a uh, recent graduate of Stanford. Um, and this post I thought was really interesting because he goes through sort of the, the issues. One, fiction one, is is the CNN poll skewed and sort of goes through the reasons why reweighting someone else's poll to match the exit polls is problematic. Uh, part of that is because uh, some folks th- say that the exit polls are not actually a good estimate of the population makeup of the electorate. Right, because they're that, not in every state. They're not, yeah, that, that you can go through and you can say, okay, um, you know, we, th- and, and the exit polls do do a national poll, but still that it's, that the point of the exit polls is to figure out one, on election night, who won? And two, within demographic groups, how did women vote versus men? But that it, they're less good at telling you X percentage of the electorate was women. X but that's all we got. But well, so we have that. You also have the current population survey. Um, there are, you know, private voter files that companies like Catalyst or I360 um, can have that can help try to give some of these estimates. But so one, I mean, is is it methodologically sound to reweight someone else's poll to the voter file, uh, Nate Cohn seemed particularly uh, uh, unenthused about this. Um, so this is controversial. Also previous guest on the show, yeah, and I, mean- and I can I can see on the one hand, I think it's fine to be skeptical of a poll if something looks amiss with the sample. And I think a poll that suggests that there are more Republicans in the electorate than Democrats. That to me is that's that's a little weird. Right. It doesn't mean that CNN is cooking the books, by the right. way. There's a difference between saying something about the poll seems it's raising questions to me. I want to see more data that backs this up before I really buy it and saying, oh, CNN's cooking the books for ratings because there was a lot of Twitter. Right. Or chat about that. Or CNN's cooking the books because they want to help. Because they have, they have Corey sudden. Lewandowski on their yeah. payroll. I'm like, I, I, I guarantee you. Jen Agesta has nothing to do with Corey Lewandowski at CNN. Like Jen's good at what she does. Like we have discussed on the we've show had before. Her on the show. We've, had, we've we've I have disagreements with her about the you know non probability polling, which we'll get to in a second when we talk about this Washington Post thing. But like she's she is smart. She's good at what she does. She is not cooking the books because some you know Jeff Zucker wants to create more of a Clinton versus Trump cage match. So anyhow, I digress. Um, but then the the other poll that I think further added fuel to the fire around the CNN poll was that the Washington Post, I think for the first time in their 
history. It's the largest sample size poll they've ever done. I think they hadn't done polling in every state since the 80s. Yes. And the difference here is that this is not a traditional probability-based poll. They don't release a margin of error because you can't release a margin of error on a poll that is not done with a probability random sample. Um, And you know, John Cohen, who is now sort of running the survey program. Also previous guest on the show. Previous guest on the show. Um, also uh, came from the Washington Post. So that actually was like, oh, okay, this partnership makes sense to me because he comes from from both of those worlds. Um, what What's interesting here is, you know, the way SurveyMonkey does their poll, and I think we've talked about this on the show, you know, they're sampling from people who have come through SurveyMonkey to fill out what are we? What book is our book club reading? Or you know, what time should we all meet up for dinner? And th- this actually gets you a pretty demographically good cross section of the country. But of course, in this Washington Post poll, where they're surveying thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people across the country, some of the results raised some eyebrows. For instance, they show that Texas is essentially tied. Um, Texas, one of the reddest states in the union. Essentially tied. Between. We hold out hope every cycle, Kristen. I know. Every cycle. This uh, is Battleground Texas. This is the year. It was like the Jeremy Bird <laughs> went down to Texas and it was like, we're going to we're gonna turn this it. This is the year. Yeah. Well, I, I have similar dreams of turning California red again. So I, I think I think when you turn first... California, when you turn Texas blue, I'm going to be trying to turn California red. That's yeah. my dream. I don't know. I think they're both kind of going the same direction. <laughs> I um when I first when I first moved to Washington, when the first cycles, there was a project about like. We're going to turn Texas blue <laughs> 20 years ago. Like this has been this has been a dream, a pie in the sky <laughs> dream on our side for a very long time. But yeah, so that was one of the one of their um their things that people went a little like, "Hey, that's strange." But overall, I think they're showing something very consistent with previous Survey Monkey polls. The CNN poll is is divergent from where the average is and where the previous CNN poll was, although that was a few weeks back now. There's a lot more regular SurveyMonkey polling than there is CNN polling. Um, but the SurveyMonkey poll, aside from some of the states specific overall, it showed the same trend we've been seeing about Clinton having a bit of a lead um, with some of the demographic groups like college-educated whites or non-college-educated whites being really key and how those groups are breaking out, um, being really important to what's going on. Um, so some of that stuff has been very consistent with past polling. And the the Trump underperformance with college-educated whites, uh, I think that is important to highlight because if there is a hidden Trump vote, and again, it's hard to say if there is or isn't because there is no evidence to suggest that it exists. So if we are evidence-based people, we cannot say that there is a hidden Trump vote. But if there was a hidden Trump vote, I feel like that's where it would be, Those, the college-educated whites. Do you think they would be hidden in the sense that they are not voting, and but they're going to all turn out magically, but they're not included? Or do you think they're the folks who no, have I think the, it's social the social desirability? That they are embarrassed to say that they're Yeah, I don't voters. think it's a turnout thing, because I think all of the studies of the primary showed that all of these, quote-unquote, new voters that Trump was turning out, they were new to the primary, but they were already general election right. voters. So that there, it's not like there are people that have never participated and in a general election. And to go get those people would require effort that the Trump campaign is not correct that in that this is what the Obama team did to reshape the electorate in 2008 the hidden Obama vote or whatever you know that's that's people who normally would be counted as an unlikely voter who were brought out to vote by that incredible field program and the inspirational message here if there's a hidden Trump vote it's not 
low propensity voters who are going to get turned out. It's high propensity voters who are ashamed to say that they're voting for Trump. If they existed, I suspect it's those college educated whites is the the bucket where they would exist. Right. And this I mean, this is what I said on ABC. This is not a secret weapon. <laughs> People are embarrassed to say that they're voting for you. I mean, that's a problem. That's a that reflects a larger problem. That's why Republicans, you know, you see a lot of Republican leaders not sure what they want to say about Trump trying to run away from him in their ads or kind of obfuscate whether or not they're voting for him and <laughs> try to have it always. Um, why you see um, Repub- some Republican operatives endorsing Clinton, just going all the way out there and saying, like, I'm endorsing, I'm endorsing Clinton. I'm, I'm going to be a never Trumper. So that's, um, that all seems like in the same category of problems for the Trump campaign rather than some secret path to victory. So, but hey, maybe that's my, <laughs> maybe that's my left, left leaning take. But well, it I, also I, seems like the, you know, the kind of spin that is perfectly fine to make if you're the Trump campaign, that's what a campaign does if the polls are not on their side. It doesn't mean that that, you know, I have never seen a presidential campaign who was down, but said we have the secret voter. And the polls are all wrong and then come and win like when, in that way. Yeah, in 2012, the, the argument wasn't that there were secret Romney voters. It was that Romney's got all this enthusiasm and so he'll do better in right, turnout. And right. Obama's voters will all be disappointed and will stay home. And that didn't wind up panning out. Right. But it wasn't that there was a hidden tr- – Romney vote. It was that Romney voters were going to be more excited. Right. The Romney thing was based on data. I mean, it was the, a different view of the data that turned out to not, you know not be ha- what happened on election day. But that was actually you know they were looking at numbers and referring to numbers and uh, what has come out in terms of estimating the hidden Trump vote is not grounded in any specific citation. Well, let's move on then to talk a little bit about uh, the negativity around this election. So one of the reasons why, you know, if we had to say, I think I said this on Sunday, if, you know, Clinton has this formidable lead, especially in terms of statewide polling. But at the moment, you know, a lot of these state polls are a little bit old. And if you look at the Washington Post survey monkey study. On the one hand, to do a study like that, it's good to have multiple waves of people. So you're not just catching people, you know, over the Labor Day weekend. Like if the CNN poll was done over Labor Day or around Labor Day, are people home? Are they paying attention? Survey monkey was conducted over pretty much the entire month of August. The downside is you're capturing a lot of the Clinton convention bounce in that first chunk of interviews. Right. So is it is and that when Trump poll, was in kind of free when fall. Trump was in meltdown mode. And so so are you capturing a, a period in time that has now passed that that is no longer an accurate representation? So is your poll a little bit more pro Clinton than is probably the reality right now? And I think that's a fair I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I mean, you know, you could argue that since Kellyanne Conway has become the campaign manager, there's been more stability, you know, It then begs the question, are we grading Trump on a curve, right? That people say, well, if he hasn't, like, punched someone in the face that day, then, you know, way to go. Like, we all applaud and say, you know, attaboy. Um, And by that measure, yeah, he's he's been doing a really good job, save for his kind of all over the place um, Mexico immigration day where he had, you know, a variety of different positions. I, for one, am excited about a taco truck on every corner. Oh, yes. Me too. Have you heard about um, hashtag guac the vote? (laughs) Like, there's, yeah, guac the vote. It's a thing. They're going to have, like, taco trucks at polling places to get people to turn out. I 
have I seen people. Great. I mean, that one's got legs. I mean, this you know, walk the vote, walk the vote. Yeah, the taco truck thing. Um, last thing I'll say about the uh, the well, I guess this feeds into our topic then about the, the miserableness of this election is, you know, Nate Silver used the word fragile to describe Clinton's lead, and I think part of the reason why he said that her lead is fragile is because in this election you have so many people that dislike both candidates. So do you have a lot of people who just say I'm staying home, or do you have a lot of people who maybe they dislike both candidates and that makes it easier for them to bounce from one to the other because well i don't like them both but you know trump said something today that i didn't hate so i guess i'll pick him you know does that make it more volatile does it make it less certain and what we're seeing in these polls is a great deal of frustration and negativity so back in 2008 you know you had uh, people who voted for Obama, 68% of people said their vote was mostly a pro-Obama vote. Only about a quarter said their vote was an anti-McCain vote. Uh, similarly, for McCain supporters, 6 out of 10 said their vote was mostly because they liked John McCain. Only about a third said they were mostly voting for him to oppose Obama. This time around, it's uh, it's the other way around. Um, you have for uh, Trump voters, most Trump voters, their vote is mostly to oppose Clinton. Um for, Clint, for Hillary Clinton, it's a little more split. Um, about half, a little over half say, yes, my vote for Hillary Clinton is because I like Hillary Clinton. It is not mostly an anti-Trump vote. Um, but that that suggests to me that 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 sort of supports the idea that there is this more volatility, right? People are not like, I like my candidate, so I'm going to vote for them. Right. They just dislike the other side. So does is that motivational in the same way to get someone to go stand in line at a polling place? Right. I don't know. And, and there are all the outlets seem to be trying to get at this kind of question in a few different ways. Um, so that was Pew. There's also um, the CNN poll asked about this. They asked two different questions. How enthusiastic would you say you are about voting? And the enthusiasm, I mean, it's at the low end of what it's been. If it, you go back to, you know, 2006 um, or 2003 and all their previous tracking, but it's it's not – the lowest possible. Like, I mean, it, you have, you know, mid 40s say that they're enthusiastic. There have been cycles and different polls where over half have been enthusiastic. But that's not a massive, massive gap. I mean, it's not as massive as maybe you would think given some of the other measures. So there's something about that measure that is showing maybe a little bit more stability. They also ask, compared to previous elections, are you more enthusiastic about voting than usual or less? Um, and now they're showing in this current poll that Democrats are far more likely to say they're less enthusiastic than Republicans. That gap um, has been in different places. I mean, there have been other times when um, when Republicans have been much less enthusiastic than, than Democrats. So that's just been a little bit all over the place. But now you have 57 percent of Democrats saying that they're less enthusiastic compared to 40 percent of Republicans. Um so, you know, I, I don't know how – I mean, it'd be interesting to see. I mean, there's two different ways to ask. One is to track enthusiasm and other people – another way is to ask people to self-report how their enthusiasm has changed. Maybe you get slightly different results here. Um, Gallup asks something similar about do you think is there somebody here who would make a good president by party? Um, there you're sh showing both parties – um, are less likely to say there's a candidate who would make a good president compared um, even to just earlier in this year. And the drop has been bigger among Republicans as the rest of that Republican field imploded during the primary. And, you know, your Marco Rubio's, your Ted Cruz's, your Jeb Bush's left the field. Now only half of Republicans look at all of the candidates running and say, yep, 
there's someone out there that's qualified to be president because so many of those Republican leaders have been sort of taken out of the game. Meanwhile, on the Democratic side, you have slightly more that say, yes, somebody qualified is running for president, presumably most of those saying it is Hillary Clinton. Right. Although that's dropped a little bit, too. And then in the Survey Monkey Washington Post This poll, was depressing. I mean, it makes sense, but a depressing finding. Yeah, this is pretty miserable. So, um, you know, a majority say a Clinton presidency would threaten the nation's well-being. And slightly more, but still a majority, say um, a Trump presidency would threaten the country's well-being. So 55 say that about Clinton, 61 about Trump. Not that big of a difference. A fifth say both candidates represent a threat to the nation's well-being. Well, and, and I mentioned this on TV, and I got pushback. I even got pushback from somebody that I knew during like my high school debate days, who I admire and respect, but he's on the political left, where when I said, look, no matter who wins – they may win and their win may be legitimate, but they won't necessarily have a mandate to do all of these policy things they like because it's not like the voters are necessarily choosing them to say yes and go implement this whole agenda. I like you. I'm behind you. So the politics post-election of does anything get done, I think, are kind of depressing to think about. Uh, and this was interpreted that. as me saying that, like, if Hillary Clinton wins the presidency, she's an illegitimate president. Like that's it doesn't mean that she's an illegitimate president. It means that she's not like being swept into office on a wave of Americans saying like, we love you and we love your policy agenda. Please go implement all of it. That there are lots of people who will vote for her, but their vote will be, well, I just really don't like Donald Trump. Or, you know, if you've got a majority saying that they think both candidates threaten the nation's well-being, we may get a president with a majority of people who don't like them and don't really want them to do much of anything. Yeah. It's it's not and look at the same thing applies to Donald Trump. It's not to say that Clinton would be an illegitimate president. It does mean you can misinterpret a win as having a mandate to do a bunch of stuff that you don't have a mandate to do. Bush figured this out in 2005 when he thought he had a big mandate and tried to reform social security and it was a mess. You know, that there are you can think you have a better hand than you do and politically uh, it doesn't really work out. Um, I mean, especially if Republicans hold Congress. I don't know what really happens post-November. Anyhow, <sighs> Margie's like, oh, I need, a, <laughs> I need a glass of wine. As soon as I said Republicans hold Congress, know, she's like, I oh, know, I know. No. No, just thinking and about I'm thinking, all the like, back and yes, forth. And Washington sounds, won't do anything. <laughs> Gridlock so is beautiful. Uh, no, but uh, anyhow, that was, you know, that's the point. When I say, look, all of these depressed voters, it means nobody will have a mandate. It doesn't mean nobody will be a legitimate president. It means right. – We're not talking about the election results. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just means that you won't like next. ride into 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue with commanding majorities demanding that you do X, Y, and Z. Now, there are polls that will show there are commanding majorities of voters who do support certain policies that Hillary Clinton supports. So it's not also – and same thing with Donald Trump, frankly – there are policies they can pursue that do have majority support. But I think that's that's different than saying, like, I personally, my win shows I have a mandate to do things. Right. And what we can't tell from the polling, you know, there's a lot of talk, you know, with the tightening that's going on nationally um, and in some of the states. There's talk about, you know uh, – why is this happening? Is this happening because Clinton's had a tough couple of weeks in terms of press? Is it happening because Trump has stabled his ship somehow? Um, is it because Clinton has gotten a raw deal by the press trying to, you know, demonstrate equivalency when there isn't in terms of uh, the kinds of things that they cover about Clinton and Trump? Um, 
you know, is it because of gender? Is it just because people, you know, decided that they haven't liked Clinton as part of this campaign because um, because they're uncomfortable with gender? You know, I don't know the answer to these questions. We can't tell them, uh, answer them with the public polling. Um, you know, it, it does seem worth further study to see how much of this change in the unfavorability in Clinton over the last year, how much of it is something that she's done through the coverage that she's gotten over Clinton Foundation or emails or what have you, and how much of it is because of the way that the press has treated her, how much is it because of her openness to the press has caused some sort of reaction from the press, how much is it because people want to feel like they, the press wants to feel that they're giving everybody um, a tough ride here and make sure that the race seems, um, that the candidates seem equally vetted in some way. So, I, you know, we don't know the answer from that, but it's, but maybe it is adding to the sense that people feel miserable about this election and miserable about both candidates. Well, one thing that people are not necessarily miserable about is the way this election is affecting their marriage. So we we are here to call out a BS polling headline. Uh, Margie flagged this one. It was a headline that says married couples are more politically split this election thanks to Donald Trump. So – you know, this there was a story like this in the Times from a few weeks ago, and I spoke about it with a reporter. And it's it, you know, it's interesting, right? Everybody fa- gets a good chuckle about it. Um, uh, the fact that there are couples that are split, and the Times it was more of an anecdotal piece in the Times. They interviewed a couple, uh, a few couples, um, and then the, I, I imagine in reaction to that, Ipsos uh, did this polls in the Guardian, and. They asked people um, in the 2012 election, did you and your partner vote for the same person, vote for different people, or did one vote and the other one didn't vote, or did neither of you vote? And then they asked the question about this year, looking forward to 2016, what do you think is going to happen? And the difference really is so small, right? So in the 2012 question, people said, oh, you know, 64% said they voted for the same person. 11% said they voted for different people. Um, And then what do you think is going to happen now? 68% say they're going to vote for the same person. So actually more say they're going to vote for the same person, but slightly more say they're going to vote for different people, 11 versus 14%. The the data actually suggests that there's, I mean, there's 1% less discord than there. I mean, (laughs) if you, like, it's very bizarre. But, you know, that's not so interesting, right? Um, It's a lot more interesting to think of, like, Donald Trump breaking up marriages and men and women squabbling over, you know, how they're going to vote and so on. And that's what the headline says. Fighting with your spouse about the Republican nominee? You're not alone. Exclusive poll finds increase in deep division since last presidential election. Although I will say I, I have heard a theory. Again, this is a theory. Not supported by data, so just flagging it as such. But if there was a secret hidden Clinton vote, it would be of wives of Trump supporters. Mm, Like guys who really like Trump and their wives are like, oh, my God, I'm never voting for Trump. Like if there was a secret Clinton vote, you know, this cuts both ways. That's good. Well, unsupported by data. Alert, alert. I shouldn't even be saying it on the show. Okay. Chris will be joining The Guardian next week, right? (laughs) They're polling headlines. So and then the last thing. um, So, yeah, they do not get the Brianna Keeler Award for Truth in Polling, uh, Truth Telling and Polling. Oh, we didn't give out that award this week. It's our second week, and I've already forgotten. We just need to not give it to lots of people. I don't know. We'll make it special. (laughs) It's not a weekly thing. You have to really do something 
Look, we're busy broads. We're busy hens here, okay? <laughs> um, so, and then the last bit, we're not going to spend too, too much time on this, but it's something that I think is worth thinking about as you're trying to evaluate the polling going forward, specifically in the states, is what's going on with Latino voters. Um, there's been a lot of talk since Trump's visit to Mexico. Also, the Washington Post ABC poll showed a real drop in Clinton's favorability among Latinos. You know, what's going on? How do we evaluate this? So, um, one thing to take, make sure to take a look at is how the polls treat Spanish dominant versus English dominant Latinos. So Latino decisions did a poll and they make a real effort to, to do, you know, talk to interviews uh, in Spanish as well as in English. And that makes a difference. Their favorability toward Clinton's a little higher than the Washington Post ABC poll. Although the Washington Post ABC poll is of adults, not of voters and um, they have registered voters in there, but it's of overall, it's of adults. And they do actually have a minimum number of interviews to be conducted in Spanish. So they do a few interviews in Spanish. Gallup looks at favorability. Their favorability is a little bit higher than the Washington Post ABC poll. They did all Hispanics. So that's all adults. So some of those folks may not even be citizens or registered but those are all in English. And then if you look at the states, so some states like Florida, quite a few of those polls will have a Spanish language interview component. But in Nevada, for example, a swing state where Hispanics can make a real difference in how that race turns out, you don't see a lot of Spanish language interviewing in Nevada-specific states uh, polls. So take a look at all of that. Something to keep an eye on because years ago, we, you know, it had to be about cell phones. If you're not doing cell phones and you were missing all kinds of people this year in a lot of these states, Colorado, Arizona, Florida, Nevada, and so on, you're going to really want to make sure you have a Spanish language component and not all state polling operations. Some of those states are going to be set up for it the way they are in like Florida and Arizona. Yep. Big differences between folks who are uh, English dominant, been, you know, their families have been in the U.S. for a lot longer versus folks who are newer or where Spanish is dominant in their household. So this this could very well play a big difference. All right. Last fun story we're going to talk about regretting names. Uh, so a survey of over a thousand Mumsnet. It's like a mom's. It's a British. <laughs> British mom's net. Mumsnet. Mumsnet <laughs> users in June 2016. This is. Oh, I like that it notes that this is unweighted data. Right. So- <laughs> it's unweighted Mumsnet users. So Statistically rigorous. Thank, if it was uh, weighted, who knows what we find. Key findings. Whether parents regretted the names that they gave their kids or not. Among the most regretted choices, so 18% of moms interviewed said they regret the first or middle name they chose. Um, of those who said yes, the regret comes almost immediately. 32% said it was within the first six weeks of giving the name. A quarter say they regretted uh, because they felt that the name was too commonly used. And so the most regretted choices are not actually like weird, although statistically they wouldn't be weird names because there wouldn't be that many people choosing them. They'd have to have a category of like weird names, right? Yeah. Like, do you regret naming your kid after? Apple. Right. I feel like Apple is insanely normal compared (laughs) to some of the names that are out there now. Like whenever, it's not just celebrities, like it's. Oh, friends on Facebook and they'll post like they just had a kid and there's lots of vowels and places that are Yeah. New new vowels, substituted consonants. Anyhow, I'm I being it's tough. I'm I'm not judging. Name your child whatever moves you. But these parents, um, they're regretting Charlotte, Amelia, Anne, Daniel, Jacob, James, and Thomas were among the most regretted choices. Those are all lovely names. They're all lovely names. I wonder Charlotte, so Charlotte is the name of the princess. That may be why people regret it because it's too they don't want to feel like People think they named their daughter after 
Yeah. Charlotte. And isn't Charlotte also the name of Chelsea Clinton's daughter? Charlotte is the royal baby name. So both here that could be. I mean, so. Well, and Blue Ivy. That's the other royal baby name. Hmm. Blue Ivy. Yeah. That would be. I think I would also regret if I named my kid Blue Ivy. Well, Beyonce doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> she shouldn't. She did it first. I would if I did that. Um, so, yeah. So I was really surprised. I mean, that seems kind of high. 18% who regret. But not many people actually change their baby's name. Although there was – I did see a story about this where there were people who changed their son Atticus's name after Oh, Go-tella. yeah, after um, – when, when the new Gotella Watchmen or whatever the follow-up to yeah. Kill Mockingbird came out and changed the whole character Atticus, Atticus turned Fish. out to be kind of racist when he got old. Yeah, so was- then they felt like, oh, no, now we have to change the name Atticus for all the – Atticus babies out there. So Yikes. that would be an example of some of this where you actually – only 2% actually said that they changed their name. So some of those may be Atticai. Atticai. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Margie, what did we learn this week? So we learned pollster culture is very dominant. It's causing problems. If you don't do something about it, there will be pollsters on every corner. Guac the vote. Guac the vote. (laughs) Which for a lot of people might be an improvement over following this election. (laughs) If you really need a break, hit the books or hit the tablet. That's not really such a catchy name. But you know what is a catchy name? The pollsters. And we don't regret it one bit. You can find us on Twitter at at the pollsters. You can also find us individually at at Margie O'Meara and at K. Soltis Anderson. We're at thepolsters.com where you can find our show notes. Also, don't forget, you can follow us on Facebook where you can see links to stories we might be talking about throughout the week. Um, make sure you subscribe to us on your favorite podcatcher. Don't be afraid to write a review. We love to hear from you. Tweet at us, especially if you've got something exciting that you think we should talk about on the show. We will love to give you a shout out. Great. Thanks. Bye.